Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the world-renowned HR Talk. Not sure why we're renowned. We have yeah, three why? listeners now. Yes. Ricky Baez, look at you. How you doing, ladies and gentlemen? I'm JC, co-host of the program here. We do have Ricky Baez on the line. Finally back on the program. Welcome back, Rick. It's been a long time since you've been here. Yeah, it's a week. Yeah, I know. <laughs> About a week or so, right? Yeah, you were all, all by your lonesome last week. You had a guest actually bail on you. No, he didn't bail. He just had some things that come up. <laughs> wow, dude. Yeah, <laughs> he no, he, on me. Yeah, he got scared. He totally bailed. And and you know what? The secret guest, we, we do hope to have him back on at some point in time. But before we belabor things and get too deep into it, and we do have just a little bit of banter to get through, we do finally have a guest on the program today that yes. I have been talking with back and forth for probably about two years and trying to convince you, Ricky, to finally come to the table and talk to this gentleman because he's <laughs> absolutely amazing. What have you done? You've gone to Puerto Rico. You've taken trips to San Francisco. You've been all over the country. You changed jobs two or three times, and then you finally booked the guy. You finally booked hey, the guy. Where hey. have you been? I did not go to San Francisco. Okay, maybe you didn't go there. Okay, got it. Thank all right, you. everything, everything else, else is though, everything else is yeah, yeah, on the line, right? Well, you're all, you're hot off the heels of your time in Merland, as some say, yeah. Merland up there, right? You did the Ocean City or Ocean Spray 500. What was that again? No, what did you do? Just real quick. The ocean spray. It What'd was the do? ninth annual. <laughs> it was the ninth annual Sherm conference over in Southern Maryland. Oh, so uh, it, it was, was HR waves stuff. Of change. Waves no, of was, change. Waves of change. it was HR stuff. Nothing to do with ocean spray. Ricky, Ricky, was it waves <laughs> of change or a waste of change? Like, how bad was waves. your speech? No, waves. Oh, like okay. a wave. I'm waving to you. The wave oh. in the ocean. I thought waves your speech crashed. Did it go good? No. No, everything went great. We had a great time. Good. Three days of people just getting together, mingling. I loved it. Well, love Maryland. At least someone did. I heard a lot of mixed reviews on the back end, but I do oh. hear that they kind of loved you a little bit, so that was good. Everyone Kinda, needs to yeah. everyone needs to love a, a little bit of Ricky Bias every now and then. And ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> before we get too deep into this, you know what time it is during the program. We haven't done this in many weeks now. Folks like you see life from another perspective. They can expand the mind and awareness. These are inspirational quotes. Ricky Baez. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Inspirational quotes with Ricky Baez, even before our guest has had the chance to say hello. Don't screw it up, Rick. Don't screw it up. Leaders, if your employees need a happy hour solely to get away from you, you're doing it wrong. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Wise words from the wise man, the silverback of the podcast, Ricky Baez, coming to the table. <laughs> That's right. Fantastic man That's with fantastic things. That's right. And Got ladies it. and gentlemen, without further ado, we do have a very special guest on today. Ricky, who do we have? All right. So we have somebody who actually we met during Disrupt HR Buffalo up in Buffalo, New York. Now, this gentleman, he helps businesses eliminate the excuses that hinder progress and profit while building focused cultures and driving wild success. He is the founder of Speaking of Strategy. He is an independent business advisor, speaker, author, podcaster, and educator. He's been quoted everywhere with a, uh, uh, with a wealth of practical, hands-on experience. His expertise encompasses leadership development, organizational design, employee engagement. Ooh, I got to pause for a second. And sales and marketing strategies. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce to you Mr. Larry Matus. 
coming. It is, it is great to be here. I feel like I'm underdressed because I believe I'm on the red carpet of podcasts. Oh, oh look at that. Nice. Not, look at that. Off the gate. <laughs> no, oh. Off the gate. He's coming on the show more often. He could take your job. Him and me, yeah. we, could do, we could do a bang Anybody job can together. take my job there, JC. Come well, on. I think a lot of people have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. I just... <laughs> That is true. Didn't mean to no, put Larry, it in a bad place. Larry, I apologize. Please tell me to pronounce your last name properly. It's Midas. Just like Midas. Just like just like the muffler guy, except I don't have a private island. <laughs> What's going on there? You gotta get on that, man. Yeah, well maybe 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 this year will be the year. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, Larry, it's a it, it's I'm excited to have you on the show. And you and I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago about strategy. And it's one of those conversations that we book it for 10 minutes and it can easily go on for about 10 hours because I realized, holy crap, we've been on for a while. We got to go. We got to save some some stuff for the show. So let me tell me what got you onto this road right now to where you are right now to help organizations, uh, you know, kind of put strategy together to get the right culture in place. Well, you know what? I mean, uh, I, I was a corporate guy you know, most of my adult working life and, and loved it. Worked for some great, great organizations with some phenomenal people and learned a lot of good things along the way. But somewhere inside my DNA is that entrepreneurial gene. And I, I do a lot of work with the Center for Entrepreneurial Leadership at UB. And I, you know, so I'm constantly in that environment with, with entrepreneurial folks and that mindset. And then one day I said, you know what? I, I've always had a servant attitude. I, I waited tables and tended bar to get through college. I like solving problems. I like helping people become successful. I love to connect people and, and resources and just get good things to happen in, in, in the business community and in, in our living community. So I thought, hey, you know, I'm just going to pitch my flag and start my own consulting company. And, uh, you know, God bless my my wife. She's my best friend, my soulmate and the love of my life. And she said, you know what? I know one thing about you. She said, you've never not done what you said you were going to do. Mm. So go out and do this thing. And here we are 12 years later um, doing that thing. But, uh, you know, when my mom was alive, honestly, she would say, what do I tell my girlfriends you do for a living? Like, how do we explain what you do? And I said, keep it simple. Just tell them I either get businesses to do the things they don't want to do or I get them, I help them do the things they should be doing. Because my observation in 16 years total of consulting is that a lot of companies and a lot of leaders just fall into this zone of unconsciousness. Yeah. And and I hate to say it, there's been books written about it, but but part of that recipe for disaster is being successful because businesses kind of get sometimes fat, dumb, and happy, and they go on autopilot. And then all of a sudden, the wheels come off like they came off a lot of businesses in the last 24 to 30 months because of the COVID environment. And then there's this sense of panic that we never had a plan. Yep. We got lucky. I tell you, one of my favorite questions I ask uh, a CEO when I meet her or him, and, and we're just discussing, can, is there anything, is there any way we can dance together? And I'll look at him and I'll say, look, in percentage terms, answer this question. What percentage of your business's success has been based historically on luck versus strategy and most of them look at me and laugh and go great question i've been really lucky i wonder how much better we could have done if i had been yeah. strategic that that so, I, hang on hang on yeah. hang on rick I've, I've got a million dollar question here for you larry thinking about that environment thinking about the 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 leader 
who may have lucked out or, or may have may have had a fantastic strategy all this time, but needed some minor tweaks. And the environment and the culture of the organization had no care, had no attention over a span of time. And then then you wind up with this business, this this multi-million dollar business that's doing absolutely good, maybe amazing at times, but absolutely kind of okay. But the culture's going downhill so much that your people start leaving in droves. That that leader can't realize or understand that maybe part of the problem is themselves due to the way that it's evolved over time. I mean, do, do you see that a lot? Do you, do, you, do you hear from leaders that are looking to understand what the problem is, not realizing that the problem might even just be themselves and their own leadership style? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, one, one of the toughest things I ask leaders to do in organizations, they usually break out in hives. And I'll just, I'll just sit with them and say, I need you to work from home like two days a week. Don't come in. Uh, well, uh, well uh, what are they going to do without me? I said, yeah. oh, I think they know what to do. <laughs> and, I, and I think you could be much more productive if you are doing leadership level activities with no distractions from your kitchen table. Absolutely. You know, turn yourself off from the organization one or two days a week. And, and quite honestly, I've got leaders that are able to do that well and leaders that just that they, they just can't do it. They can't cut that that umbilical cord to the organization. Is it, is uh, it a know, trust factor, though? Is it a trust factor? Or is it just inherent, you feel, in, in the way that some of these leaders have come up? Uh, you know, I think I think it's multiple things. I don't want to paint everybody with sure. the same brush good, good. stroke, but, you know, it's, it's usually either a trust factor or an ego factor. Or, and, and this factor I think is the most unfortunate. This is the only thing I've got going on in my world. So, like, if I don't work 90 hours a week, who am I? Uh, which scares me. Um, you know, I, I always tell people read the four hour uh, work week by Tim Ferriss because he wrote a book, I don't know, 20 years ago that said, hey, it, not every career, not every profession, I get it, but most jobs. If if Ricky and JC could get done in four hours what we paid them to do in 40 hours, do we really need to care about the other 36? Can we treat them like adults? Can we trust them? Can we give them some authority and some latitude? And if they're producing, we get out of their way. Now, again, you can't run a hospital ER that way. Yeah. You can't do brain surgery that way. But there's a lot of professions. And I'll be honest with you, in, in the last two and a half years of COVID, I've had CEOs come to me who are honest enough to say, guilty as charged. I did not trust my own people, and boy, was I wrong. Because now I got a, I, I got a, a, a class A team knocking it out of the park. My biggest problem now is what do I do with my office space? Because no one's coming back to work, and I don't need them to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> rent it out. Might as well open a real estate in, uh, interest in, investment fund and just there rent it out. <laughs> Might as well do that. Uh, heck, turn it into condos. Rent's too damn high anyway. Sublease that thing, right? That there you go. True. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so Larry, a lot of it's, you know, sometimes leaders, sometimes not all the time, they just can't get out of their own way. And and I, I see a lot of confusion in organizations. There's a real delineation in my mind between what's leadership and what's management. And I'm a guy, I don't know, maybe it was my eight years of Catholic school. I like to keep things simple because I think people can remember simple, replicate simple, teach it and execute it. And, and my simple definition is Managers are in place to make sure things get done the right way. But leaders are in place to make sure the right things get done. There's the quote of the week. There's the quote of the week. There's the quote of the week. That's better than your quote, Rick. (laughs) Yeah, well, of course. I mean, he he lives that. I mean, listen to how he said that, right? So, Larry, you you answered one of my questions, which – 
which was why how do we get to the point where where organizations kind of forget their way and they need, you know, someone like you to come in and kind of help them, right? And so, you know, and you've answered it because you you said organizations get what fat, dumb and happy, right? Yeah. So, they get to uh, to to that promised land and then they kind of stop churning on. So, what advice do you give organizations right now that would a kind of help them, you know, kind of keep that eye on the goal and they don't get too fat, dumb and happy? Um, number one, number two, and create a culture in a way that it stops this this great resonation that's happening right now. Yeah, excellent, excellent questions. Uh, so to the first point, I think, you know, I when I work with companies, I'm, I'm big on a company having or revising or creating a core value statement. Because quite honestly, if I were going to, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a mission statement guy, because let's face it, the people that understand mission statements the best are the women and men who drive and deliver for FedEx, UPS, and Amazon because they see 10,000 framed mission statements in corporate hallways <laughs> every year. That's true. <laughs> and if you go back to the production floor or the work cubicles and you say, hey, JC, in your own words, tell us what our mission is. Um you get deer uh, in the headlight. Like, yeah. what are you talking about? Uh, uh, Bi- Bias Co. does stuff with things. There yeah. you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we make stuff. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> yeah, we make stuff. Um, so, you know, but I think once an organization and its people understand their core values, how we operate, what behaviors we will not tolerate, period, has nothing to do with manufacturing or, or goods or services, Yeah, it, it starts to step us in a direction of, of, of what's our culture. And, and I really think when it comes to the cultural conversation, in my mind, clearly two sides of the fence. I don't meet any fence straddler, strad, stragglers, um, straddlers in this conversation. You're either on the side of the fence that says this culture stuff is crap, which is one of the titles of my chapters in my book, or you get the companies that say, yeah, we absolutely get it. We're all about the culture. There's nobody on, on, on the fence. You're either on one side or the other. Right. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, when you do the research, and I think in our hearts we all know this, but at least in, in North America and the United States, we spend more time at work than we do anywhere else. We don't sleep yep. more, eat more, recreate more. We just don't. We work. And I always look at people and say, if you're not exuberantly happy at work and your organization is not wildly successful, I honestly feel bad for you. Because you're spending the majority of your life there. I, I, you know, and when you look at the German, like the, the, the root of the word uh, retire is a German word. And if you watch the old black and white films, like in the 30s and 40s, people would say they were going to retire for the night. I'm going to go to bed and go to sleep. Yeah. Somehow we built in our culture this mindset that says, if I work hard enough, if I stay healthy enough, if I get lucky enough, and if I save enough money, someday I get to retire. Uh, and do what I really want to do. And I look at people and go, why aren't you doing it now? Why aren't you doing it now? Because that's how you build a killer company when your passion's in there. So that, that all goes down the cultural path. And, and when you look at the companies like here in, in Western New York, uh, you know, where I'm pitching my tent most of the time, you look at the Westers of the world, the Wegmans of the world. They have a clear cultural definition. They have a mindset. And it's a filter. And quite honestly, if you don't make it through the filter, you're not going to work there doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, or who you know, you will not fit there because they're not going to put a round peg in a square hole. But you walk into those places and you feel it in the air. You see it in the behaviors. You sense it in the attitudes. 
And and those companies, you know, they totally took the Wharton School of Business years ago and turned it on its head because Wharton always said, uh, you know, customer number number one, employee number two. Wegmans, West Her, and all the other great companies on the landscape say, oh, no, 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 employee number one. And they'll take care of our customers, we have no doubt. So the culture, in my mind, trumps strategy every day. I had a client a couple of years ago say to me, well, you know, we really want to get rid of our C and B level employees and build a team of, of A's. And I said, oh, there's a really easy way to do that. Really easy. I said, build an A culture. I said, because it'll attract yep. automatically. You don't have to run ads. Your people will go home every day and say to their friends, their neighbors, the people they encounter, let me tell you why you need to work with me where I work. Period. Hmm. But there's there's not, there's, there's still the minority of companies geared to think that way. So there's, it's, it's one thing to actually talk about that, Larry. It's one thing to go into a CEO's office and say, look, let's, let's, okay, let's build a culture to where we have nothing but A players, right? Forget C, B, and, and that's all we have. It's one thing to put it in writing. How do you really get those leaders to follow through with that? Right, because I've seen time and time again where leaders say, "This is what I'm going to do," but they fail to get the VPs involved. They fail to get the middle managers involved. And more importantly, they fail to get the people up front on the front line with the uh, dealing with the customers to really truly get involved. How do you make that happen? It's it's a big lift, and and there's a lot of, dis- of confusion there. You know, I'll be honest with you. I I get CEOs that call me up every week and go, "Hey, Larry, well, we want to take care of the culture thing and the core values thing, so we can knock that out over a lunch or two, right?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, right? Sure. <laughs> <Not> easy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and again, my experience, history has told us, studies have told us, organizational psychologists have told us to move the needle on culture is a minimum 24 to 36 month exercise. Wow. Because, because, you know, if you guys look at the logo, my logo on my business card, there's a blue arrow. And I always say to my leaders, you're, you're driving the direction. You're the leader. You're the blue arrow. There's a green box right behind the blue arrow, and those are all the people in the organization that have your back, believe in what you're doing, trust you to do the leadership things, they'll do the management worker things, and life is good. But behind that green box in the middle, there's that yellow box of people sort of on the fence going, yeah, today feels pretty good at work, but, eh, you know, I get paid, I'm okay, you know, I'm not vested. And then behind the yellow box is the red box of people who are pretty much by design, working to sabotage the efforts of the company. I'm going to be lazy. I'm going to be late. I'm not going to toe the line. I'm not going to buy into this cultural mindset thing. I'm picking up a paycheck, and as soon as I can get a better one somewhere else, I'm out of here. Well, there's never I've never met an organization that had 100% green. Yeah. We all have that mixture of green, yellow, and red. Um, and, and that's what makes it tough because it's a daily battle. And, and the thing is, think about your own life and work experiences. Most of the time, there's a rah-rah session, a manager, VPs, owners, all the above get together and say, this is the new initiative. This is the new mindset. And it's like the Charlie Brown cartoon. The employees here, they walk really away good. going, <laughs> next week, uh, Larry's not going to say any of that. So why pay attention? But when you get in there every single day, five, six, seven days a week, and you keep beating the same drum, and now we're three months, six months, nine months into it, people start going, I guess this culture thing isn't going to go away. It's not the flavor of the month. And then, no disrespect to anyone, as the culture changes, it polices itself, 
And people who start to feel uncomfortable in the culture leave the organization on their own. You don't ask them to leave. They wake up and go, you know what? I just don't feel like I fit anymore. I'm going to move on. Let's talk about that real quick. Asking people to leave versus people leaving on their own versus people not even being asked to leave. They're just uh, over that course of one or two lunch periods. They're just no longer with the company. (laughs) So CEO wants to change the culture. CEO finally talks to you and understands it's going to be a longer process than what's initially on the plate. And they realize through this time that maybe some of their senior leaders are not the right people that they need in place. And now they go on that firing path. They get rid of some of the senior leaders. Some of the C-suite's gone. Some of the middle managers are being let go left and right. The people in the yellow boxes and the red boxes, they start to get that feeling like, oh, geez, I'm next. And now you're doing more detriment to your organization because you're cutting people right away instead of letting it naturally occur. Am I wrong? No, you're right. And I think, you know, and again, sometimes I get phone calls. I have meetings with owners, CEOs, and they say, you know, uh, you know, you know, we're going to get rid of Ricky. Here's why. And I always stop him in mid sentence and say, you're not getting rid of him unless he's done something illegal, unethical or immoral. If that's the case, then he goes today. Right. Right. If it's not the case, you step back as an organization, you step back as a leader or leadership team. And you look at yourself in the mirror and say, did we do everything we could to coach, train, mentor him, give him the tools to be successful and give him a timeline to develop to to be successful? If not, it's not on him. It's on you. And most times people will say, oh, yeah, you know, I I set the expectations. Then I, you know, let the guy bob in the water. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, I I had one organization, an international organization, their warehouse manager was the third highest paid employee on the payroll, like right under the VPs. And by their own admission, the guy hadn't produced any work product of value for seven years. They let him write his own development. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) They let him write his own HR plan. And I, I finally had a meeting with the owner from another country, and I said, you know, look, we're going to help this guy land on his feet. He just can't be here anymore. We're not going to kick him out the door. He's a human being. I helped, I helped the guy shop his resume. The guy we brought in to replace him in the first 30 days saved the company $500,000. Wow. And I looked at wow. the CEO and said, now multiply that by the seven years that you had this guy wagging you around by the tail. Yeah. Want to go there again? <laughs> Here's some salt. <laughs> and, and don't get me wrong. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. I certainly don't know everything, but, but you can tell when people's hearts and their passions. Yeah. And let's face it. If you're in a career 10, 15, 20 years, your passions change, your interests change. And that's too where, where companies get in trouble. They're, we're not taking the pulse often enough of what does Ricky want to do at work? What does JC want to do at work? What does Larry want to do at work? Just because he's been the marketing guy for 20 years doesn't mean he wants to be the marketing guy for the next 20. It's true. And it doesn't mean that the guy driving a forklift in the warehouse doesn't have a good marketing idea. All right. So, All right. Then. Yeah. All right. Then. So question for you. So this is this is where maybe we just play Moneyball, right? We we pull the metrics, we run the numbers, and then we just start chopping bodies. To include maybe even the HR guy who's got to run the numbers and he meets the criteria and he winds up having to cut himself as well in the process. Like, we're just going to do it by the numbers. Forget everything else. We're just going to cut this and it's it's financial and nothing to do with uh, the employee's desires at all. We'll just focus on the numbers. Good idea? Maybe? No? Semi-good idea. It needs to be tweaked because I love the numbers because I, I have CPA friends who tell me that the story is in the numbers. You have to learn mm-hmm. how to read and interpret the story. 
But again, I meet a lot of CEOs who look at an income statement, cash flow balance sheet. They would they don't know if they're cash flow positive. They don't know if they're being robbed blind. They don't know because they yeah. go one of the chapters of my book. Oh, my accountant handles that. Mm. Well, how involved are you in those? Yeah. I guys, I'll be honest with you. I've taken income statements, cash flows, and balance sheets before corporate meetings. I've changed the numbers so they purposely don't add up. Put them back in. <laughs> put them back in front of the CEOs. And they get out, some of them get out their pens and go, yeah, I'll sign off on this. It's all good. And I'm like, you got a calculator in your pocket? Did you add those four rows of numbers up for me? They don't add up, do they? Oh. I said, is this the first time you've ever looked at this document that closely? Well, yeah. Case so here, here's, my, here's, here's my take on the numbers. And here's I my two-week notice. <laughs> I, yeah, I think a lot of it is, is data-driven, but we're not teaching our people what the numbers mean. Yeah. We, we've got to stop there it is. getting employees to understand what we make and what we do and what we provide. And we've got to teach them better. How do we make money that translates to profit? Because you can still, there's still confusion. You can still make money and not be profitable. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell some of my clients, stop using the word bonus. Bonus means you can have half a pulse and, and you, you get a bang, you, you get some extra bucks at the end of the year, you get a gift card, whatever. Stop. Let's let's build an incentive program, which means if people understand what they have to do to earn the incentive, how they contribute to controlling overhead and cost. When there's more pie at the end of the week, the month, the quarter or the year, they're going to get a bigger slice. Then you get heads turning going, OK, I can drive this. Not oh, I'm, I'm, wow. you know, if we got some money left over mm-hmm. at the end, you can have you can have fifty cents. Um, Larry, you're and, killing and, me and, right and, now. You're killing me right now. I have to be honest with you, and here's the reason why I say you're killing me right now, Ricky. Where was this guy for all the Sherm conferences that we've been at needing speakers? I'm telling you, <laughs> yeah. he's like hitting home runs, knocking <laughs> no. it out of the park. Bye, is back to you. <laughs> no, they. It, it, so, so Larry. So yes, it's. I agree with you 100 percent as far as the incentive program because it's better to focus on those behaviors you want to see. Right. Because a lot of people focus on the skill that the employee needs to have, but they're forgetting about the employee having to use that skill. But let me talk to you real quick about the about the employees in the in the in the red box. Yeah, because you said that if the culture is lived and breathed the way the the organization intended it to be lived in, the employee is going to self eject. Right. Yeah. But you sometimes have some employees who don't self-eject. They kind of stay there just because everything is easy peasy for them. And sometimes, you know, the leadership team doesn't want to, you know, kind of rock that boat with that employee. They're doing exactly what, what we hired that person to do. But now they're starting to really eat away at the at the energy and the passion that the rest of the team has. How does a leader or leadership team addresses employees like that? Again, it, it comes down to regular conversations, mm-hmm. uh, and the, those are the conversations that happen on a weekly, daily basis, not just the six-month or one-year performance review, which quite honestly, in 12 years, I've learned most companies, you know, you're lucky if you get a performance review in five years. So again, you go home and you sit down and have dinner with your family, and they go, how are you doing at work? And, and the employee goes, well, I don't know. The last time we talked about it was six years ago. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that you got to run a business like a sports franchise. And by that, I mean this. Owners, C-level people, you go up to the press box. You look down at the playing field. You look at the players and go, here's where I'm strong. Here's where I'm weak. Here's where I'm vulnerable. Here's where I'm dead in the water tomorrow if we, if we lose Ricky. And who are we going to draft? Who are we looking for? Larry. 
We're looking who are we going to trade? Who, who are we going to trade? Right. But yeah. then, you know, athletes get coached. They watch film. A lot of companies only talk to people when they've done something wrong, not when they've done something right. So, again, the employees bobbing in the water going, am I making a difference? I, I don't have a clue. But to your to get to the point about your question, Ricky, you know, that's what developmental paths are all about. You, you say to somebody, look, Larry, we need you to ramp this up. Here's how we define it. Here's the timeline. Here are the resources we're going to make available to you. But at that point in time, you got to stop and say, Larry, do you want to do this? Yeah. Because if you don't, it's okay. But then we're going to have to part ways. You know, and, and, you know, there's a book, you know, Attraction. I think it's Gino Wickman. And he talks yes. about, do they get it? Do they want it? Most, a lot of people don't want it. I was called into an international company and they said, well, you know, we did the homework for you. We did the legwork. We narrowed it down to two VPs. One of them is going to be anointed the executive VP, but we want your input. So I interviewed these two gentlemen separately, asked them the same questions. It took me five minutes. Oh. Second guy says, that's funny. You're a complete stranger. You don't work with any of us. You're from outside the organization. And you're the first person to ask me if I'm interested in the position. And the answer is no. <laughs> Look now, at that. A hundred people to pick from. They narrow it down to two. And 50% of them aren't even one guy. I, I walked back to HR and said, I found your guy. Well, how did that you provide me? I said, it sure did. I said, you never asked the question. You assumed he wanted it. So, you know, we got to put people on, on the, and, and we and we got to hold, I have a lot of conversations with people about accountability. As a leader, as a manager, I cannot make anyone be accountable. We have to breed cultures where people look at themselves in the mirror and say, I'm accountable for me. I'm accountable for my actions. I need your help to drive some of that activity, but I really need your feedback on a regular basis. Mm. Uh, I'm involved with an organization from the, the Netherlands and, and we do uh, I call it pulse taking, mood taking once a week through email, 15 seconds inside of companies. This is becoming a multi-billion dollar industry because employees are going, especially our millennials and our Gen Z's are going, I want people to care about how I think and yep. feel. And I don't want that to be a once a year conversation. Yep. I want my pulse taken regularly so I can give feedback. You know, so so that's a long winded answer to your your question, Ricky, about Every organization is about the people. And I'll stand up in front of seminars and conferences when I speak and I'll say, okay, you show up tomorrow, you're the only one in your building. What happens to your business? Well, we're out of business. Exactly. So, you know, <laughs> we need to I be, mean, simple yet impactful. I love it. <laughs> we need to be recruiting rock stars 24 7, 365 that want to play in our band. And we have to keep going to rehearsal and learning new songs. And, you know, we have to read the reviews. And we have to address, you know, not only the positive, but sometimes the, the negative. I'll tell you, and this sounds a little bit calculated. The companies that had a culture, had a strategy, and had this attitude pre-COVID, before anyone knew what COVID was, yeah. they made it through the storm. And some of them actually thrived. Yeah. The companies who got in trouble in COVID, they were in trouble long before anybody knew what COVID was. Yep. And COVID pushed them over the edge. You know what? Someday, in some way, shape, or form, if it's physical, mental, health-related, economic, there's going to be another some kind of COVID yeah. that, that rocks the world. It could be it could be the the monetary market. It could be anything. Look at the price of gas, right? That's impacting businesses. Yep. 
So if you're not ready to think and respond and plan and be strategic, but number one, build that rock star culture, you're not going to, you'll be successful, but not as successful as maybe you hope to be. You know, I've, I've been beating a drum with a lot of people lately talking about like uh, the benefits of like the, the agile environment, not just from the perspective of like building whatever it is that you're building, but also in the sense of building your business and the way that you uh, talk to your fellow workers and, and being able to devise a plan, iterate a plan and come out with it quickly and be it nimble and adaptive. And it seems that just from my perspective, from the pandemic forward, I see a huge push, especially in human resources right now, for more of an adaptation of an agile mindset in the world of human resources and leadership and, and reframing the way that, that we look at business. Do you see that as well? I, I do. And it's, it's a good thing. It's a positive thing. You know, again, the alert companies that were worn asleep at the wheel started saying, how do I learn to become nimble? And then I always preached. Learn as much as you can from the experts as quickly as you can. Be as flexible as you can. Agile, because a lot of companies get mired down in, well, we need nine months to make a decision. Something's wrong. If, you know, I don't care if you're launching missiles. You don't need nine months. Right. Okay? right. Yeah. Uh, I think it was Colin Powell when he was uh, you know, part of the, the White House administrative as, as a cabinet member. He had a great quote one time, and he said, it's statistically proven. That when your gut, your heart, your research, your brain tell you, you've got like 85, 90% of the data to make a decision, make the decision. Mm. Because the time you spend collecting the extra 10%, you're going to come up with the same answer. And for some companies, it's that extra lag time where they don't pull the trigger and take an action that a competitor goes around them and gets goes first to market. And then, you know, company agents are going, well, that was our idea. We were thinking about it. Yeah, well, yeah you were thinking <laughs> about it. And it says that somebody ran right by it. Be decisive. Be decisive. Bring it to the table. Yeah. Give it a shot. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Just take the opportunity to retool yourself and stay nimble and uh, adjust as you need to. Ricky yeah, Bias is quiet here. I don't know if he likes what we're talking about. No, no, I do. I do. It's just my, my, my thing is, is that some organizations get it. Larry, what you're saying right now, we all agree with. It makes perfect sense. But we're talking about what you had me scared. I wasn't sure if you agreed or not there. No, no, no. I do. <laughs> no, I can know because I'm listening because Larry's spitting fire right here. Right. So what he's saying well, then is buy his behind. damn book and stop screwing it, around. It's, how do you know I didn't? I'm just waiting for him My to man. sign it. Ah, Larry, mm. I'm waiting for a signature. Happy to brother. do that. <laughs> yeah, so so it's it's look, some some organizations get it. What is the number in your experience? What is the number one thing? That prevents organizations from really being as agile as they need to be, really being as, um, well, yeah, agile, flexible. Because, look, this whole working from home thing is not temporary anymore. This is what the workforce wants. And those organizations that are still resisting that, what do you think drives that other than trust? You know, I hate to say it. It's a four-letter word, and I really don't mean any disrespect to organizations and people when I say it, but but in 16 years of consulting, I would say the number one answer to that question to me is a four-letter word called lazy. Because mm. that's the pushback I get. Oh, we're going to have to learn something new. Oh, we're going to have to ask our people to do one more thing. Oh, we're gonna re we're gonna have to understand the budget. Oh, we're gonna have to write a budget before the end of the year for the next fiscal year. And then I look and go, yeah, it's work, but everything in life that's worthwhile is work, isn't it? Yeah. 
And 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 then right behind that comes, well, we don't have time. Okay, now we're talking time management. When's the last time you did a time study in your organization? Check for repetition, redundancy, you know, things that can be done with technology. Well, you know, how are we going to make time to do that? It's just, and you know, those, <laughs> yeah. that's how the book was born because it was just excuse after excuse. It's a mindset. You, you're, in the, you're either in the bucket that says, I'm controlling my destiny as a person and an organization, or I'm taking everything the world's launching at me and woe is me. And, and I hope I can survive. I, I see those two buckets every day. I don't really see anybody in, in the middle. And and you look at the companies that are thriving. Look at look at the companies that don't have to advertise to attract people. I don't know if you guys are familiar, if you remember Remarketing Services of America, RSA, years ago. Uh, Stuart Angert and two other guys, they were local bankers. And, and leasing was just like starting to become popular and, and cool. And Stuart and these two guys, uh, I won't say the bank they worked at at the time, went to the hierarchy and said, there's there's a business potential model here for these cars coming off lease or people that can't pay their lease because they lost. There's something here. We can feel it. Let's build a plan. And the bank said, nah, you guys are smoking dope. <laughs> Not going to happen. So they left. And they started their own company. And Stuart will tell stories where him and his two friends stood around a three foot by three foot card table in a space no bigger than a phone booth and prayed that the phone would ring and the fax machine would go off. Well, lo and behold, a couple of years later, they were growing so exponentially fast, they needed to hire 80 people. Oh, 80. Wow. And that's, I'll never forget the day. That's a good I'll problem never forget to have. The day Stuart, <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget the day Stuart said, Larry, without spending a dime for advertising, no help wanted ads, we received eight thousand resumes for 80 openings oh my god eight thousand eight thousand resumes for 80 openings i said how did you get the resumes he goes (laughs) our employees are our ambassadors they go home and say to everyone they meet here's why you need to work with me and it's the little things it's not the the first time i walked in there sidebar story it was 20 below wind chill in january in buffalo the building was brand new but in a huge open space in a suburb and I walked in and, you know, I had an overcoat on and the woman came out from behind the desk and she looked at me and she said, good morning, sir. She said, smoking or non-smoking? And I was like, <laughs> and then I, and she, and she, she repeated herself and I felt really less than intelligent. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm not in a restaurant and I'm not on an airplane. Why do you ask me that question? <laughs> And she said, well, I'm going to hang your coat, but you wouldn't want it in the smoker's closet if you weren't a smoker, would you? Yeah. And I was okay. like, okay, there's something different going on here. Yeah. And yeah. probably for the first two years, Stuart and his two partners personally handed out every employee's paycheck so they could sit with them on Friday and say, hey, Ricky, you hear and see things that I don't hear and see. Tell me what you hear and see wow. that I miss. Look at that. And, and Stewart said, you know what? We got to the point where when we started really growing, we couldn't do that personally anymore because we need the whole week to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and we'd never get anything done as leaders. Hey, I got a but question that- for you. I got a question for you here, Larry. Now, yeah. it, it, let, let's go back to the bank for a second there. Let's go back mm-hmm. to the bank when they had the fantastic idea and brought it to the table. And the people yeah. that were working at the bank, maybe the, maybe those people that were working at the bank were, were highly skilled professionals. Maybe they spent a lot of time learning their craft, honing the craft, doing what they had to do. But maybe they were also distracted by bad advice. 
or maybe they bought into bad projects mm. or bad fads over the years. They thought about life in a different way, putting ourselves in the perspective of that that bank person for a brief moment. So here's a fantastic idea coming to the table, something that could be the future of your organization. And, and kudos to Stuart and the team for leaving and branching out and doing what they have to do. But getting distracted by the wrong advice or getting distracted by a fad or a buzzword or something within your organization, like you were talking about over the course of the pandemic, some of those that stayed true and trusted through the span, they invested in their people. They they thought about these things in advance. They, they were, you almost kind of have to be a fortune teller in a way. Or bring someone like yourself in from the outside with a different perspective so that you could make that judgment in a five-minute time span where they would normally do it in nine months' worth of time. That's where I want to pin in on with you for a brief moment there. The bad advice. Getting distracted by the bad advice in your organization or getting distracted by the fad or the buzzword or something that may not necessarily be proven nowadays. Maybe it was relevant 30 or 40 years ago, but things have changed. Where are we with that in in the culture of an organization? Where are we with that when we need to move that needle from A to B and we're bogged down with the employees that are fantastic, but they're just not not on the right not on the right pedal. They're not on the right button. If that yeah, makes that's a great question. And you know, there, there's a chapter in my book I called "Everyone's Doing It" or "Everyone's Buying It," and you know, it, it answers that. It answers that question of how do I filter distraction from real opportunity? And I'll be honest with you, myself included. Every time you go to a conference, you go to a dinner, you ride on an airplane next to somebody, you meet someone who gets you hyped up about something, and you come back to the office and go, wow, this could be our next home run. Yeah. And and to me, again, it's a matter of discipline. And I'll say to the, the folks that I coach and the folks that I consult, okay, do the homework. Is there a real market there? What do you know about that market now? Is there a market halfway around the world that is already operating in that silo that you're not even aware of? I can't tell you how many people think the world is 10 miles from their from their, their office. <laughs> They're not thinking about what's going on in China or Russia or India. It's like, well, nobody around here is doing that. I'm like, around here is the globe right now. Okay? That's where around here is. Do your homework. Um, ask your customers. You don't have to do thousands of dollars and, and go to your customers and say, if we could build X, if we could provide X, if we could provide service this way, would you be interested? Period. Look at your resources. Do we have the intellectual capability? Do we have, if we need it, the manufacturing capability? Do we have the inventory storage capability? Do we have the capital or do we have enough line of credit or do we have investors or angel investors who would roll the dice out with us on this? Or or do we have a call center big enough uh, in Orlando to to call everyone in the country about their extended warranty on their car? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) You know, you know what? Um, um, I I have a client uh, and uh, it was a great learning experience for me because. We thought about taking some of their product to QVC. And I got to oh. tell you, QVC is a superiorly oiled machine Yeah, with decades of experience. They have a track record. They have a model. They have an R&D department. They have a legal department. They have a marketing calculation department. They, they, had they, a know movie. How many- they had a documentary movie on themselves, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. They know how many units, they have one, you know, we talk about key performance indicators. They have one. How many units of X will you sell per minute of airtime? If you can't meet that number, you're not coming back, period. And the the good news, the lesson we learned, my client and I was, it wasn't a fit. 
And, but it took like six months to figure that out. I mean, there are legal documents this thick. You know, just don't walk in and go, hey, you're going to love this. What time am I, am I going to be on TV? And it was a great learning experience because, again, I'm not saying don't roll the dice and take a chance because the data is either going to say this is doable or it really looks like it might not be doable. Yeah. But most companies jump so far from what they do naturally, and we really need to sort of organically grow what we do naturally. Here's my other example. For those people that still read a thing called the newspaper. <laughs> sometimes hey, that's you, me. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you see big headlines mm-hmm. company ricky just acquired company jc mm-hmm. and there's a lot of fanfare there's a lot there's confetti flying and balloons are launched and six months later the size of a postage stamp in that newspaper you see uh company ricky spun off company jc because after a half a year, they, they figured out it wasn't a fit. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. who was in charge of due diligence? Yep. How did you not know when you thought you would buy that, take that over, usurp it, whatever, that it wasn't a fit? No, I get it. Sometimes companies buy things with a hidden strategy. When, when Unilever bought the Dollar Shave Club, they didn't want razor blades. They didn't <laughs> want razor handles. They wanted his customer database, yep. and they paid handsomely for it, period. I get that. But that was a strategy. Yeah. Huh? Um, but I, I see people spending money, spending effort, spending time on this wild goose chase idea where if they would if they would hone down and spend it on what they already do naturally, they'd be much more successful. I see a lot of companies fall into this trap. My advice is either you go super narrow and super deep to the core of the earth or you go super shallow and super wide, but you can't do both. You know what, Larry? It's in in that advice you gave about just asking your something as simple as just asking your customer for feedback is gold. Because I don't, I don't know if you know this, that's how Amazon became the behemoth they are today. Because they first started with books, obviously, back in the uh, in the early '80s. And when when um when Jeff Bezos had like about a thousand customers, he sent everybody an email: "What would you like to see from my service?" And everybody started saying wiper blades, shoes, this, this, and that. Everybody gave them a different answer, and that's why I gave them the idea of just selling everything. And look at him now, the second world, the the uh, second richest man in the world, <laughs> all yeah. because he asked his customers what they wanted, and he delivered. Hang on, hang on though. I think the uh, third richest now is Jack Dorsey, right? Is no, it? I'm kidding. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> after Elon buys everything, yeah, might as well. well. Well, you know what? You know what, Ricky, to that point, and, and it's an example most people see on a regular basis, Southwest Airlines is a great example. It wasn't their president, uh, who, by the way, I had a, a conversation about uh, my yeah. book about. Great guy. When a CEO of Southwest Airlines writes a letter and sends it to you because you wrote to him, that tells me something about culture. Yep. That yep. tells me something about culture. He didn't say Larry dropped dead. He said, Larry, how do, thanks for writing to me. How can I help you? I'm like, oh, wow. But anyways, the whole Southwest boarding thing, that wasn't some genius in a think tank. They sat at the airport and said to people, what would you do to get the seat you wanted on an airplane? And they said, I'd show up early. And they said, how early? And they said, two hours in advance. And they said, how about three? And they said, boom, we're off to the races. <laughs> what did it, well, you know, it was a cup of, cup of coffee, you know, some coffee and, and 15 minutes of brainstorming. Look at that. And they built this model based on asking people in the airport. So, you know, and, and again, sometimes I get pushback from small to medium sized companies who say, well, you know, if I had Amazon's budget or if I had Netflix budget or, or, you know, Southwest Airlines, I could do all those things. And I always say, 
take their pearls and scale them down to the size of your company. They are doing something you can replicate on a smaller level. Boom. Pick it out and do it. Or, or, or don't. Or don't. Yeah. Just just make up the excuse. Just have excuses for it all. Defend yourself <laughs> to the end of the hills and, and just stay in the job that you're in and, and just keep fighting for your own paycheck and keeping the culture exactly the way it is. But use the excuse, right? I mean, keep the excuse. Exactly. Going. Because yeah. it's it, you know, and 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 again, I get it. Myself, guilty as charged. I've certainly made enough enough excuses in my life. <laughs> but I, I think, and it's not even I think ill will or lack of intelligence or or malfeasance or anything like that. Yeah, I think excuses are just convenient. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Let's dig into that for a second. Excuses. There was, I think yeah. you had a little something in a book about excuses, if I'm not mistaken. Am I right, Larry? I am, sir. Yeah, I woke up one day. I, you know, and again, now for 10 years, I wanted to write a book and I kept going, what am I going to write about? I literally woke up one night at, at two in the morning, grabbed a piece of paper and said, as a consultant for 16 years, what are the common excuses that I, that I hear that are really holding people back from a higher level of success and maybe more important, a higher level of satisfaction? It's not all about money. It's about, am I happy? Am I healthy? Yeah. Money helps that, but I know a lot of wealthy people who are miserable and sick. Yep. You know, and, 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 and the pursuit of the dollar, I think, made a lot of them miserable and <laughs> So, you know, is, is it the chicken or the egg? So, yeah. yeah, so I wrote a book. The title is We Tried That Once because, honestly, in 16 years, that's the number one excuse I hear. I'll volley a suggestion. I'll put something on the table. I'll make a recommendation. They'll go, yep, we tried that once. Okay, tell me how that went. Well, nobody remembers. Where, nobody where's remember the data you collected? Did you save it? Uh, no, we didn't write anything down. Uh, you know, that was JC's idea. And, you know, he works in the factory. So what would he know? Yeah. Right, right. He doesn't have a college degree. Uh, you know, this is the way we've done it since my grandfather owned the company. You know, on and on and on. So I kind of stopped, you know, went back in my memory, talked to some of my clients, thought about my experiences as a consultant and said, yeah, I'm going to write a book with 13 chapters. It's the 13 most popular excuses that I hear. Uh, I'm, I could probably, I know I could certainly write another book because there's certainly more than 13 <laughs> excuses in, in the business world. But well, some of the main ones we talked about today, I really firmly in my heart and my mind believe that the cultural excuse is, is, is the biggest one that, yeah. you know, there's still people out there going, you know, that culture stuff is BS. And you know what? You come to work. I sign your check. I'm going to tell you what to do. I mean, come out of the cave, really? Well, let them think that way. Let them think because here's what's going to happen. If they continue to to think that way, they continue not to listen to consultants on the right way to do things, eventually they're not going to have anything to complain about because they're not going to be in business, right? The market is going to take care of itself because I don't know if any employee that's going to want to work in an environment like that is going to take some time, right? So Mm -hmm. it's I say let them do it. Let them fizzle fizzle away. But on one hand, on the other hand, I'm like, God, I don't want to put employees through that, the ones who do decide to stay, the ones who really do care. Right, because some employees care about the wrong things, and it really is on on leadership to kind of pretty put into play what they care about in the organization. And then you know what? Um, you reminded me of a story, and a personal story part of my life. Communication is so critical, so mm. critical. And I say to people, think about your personal life and your professional life. When you hit it out of the park and things exceeded expectations, whatever that event was, there was probably a lot of clear, concise, consistent communication. 
When things derail personally or professionally, it's usually the opposite. No one's talking. No one's communicating. It's mumbo jumbo that nobody understands. But you know what? When we when we become grownups, we never raise our hand and say, stop speaking, Larry. You confuse me. Can you clarify that? We just let it go in one ear and out the other because we're not going to embarrass ourselves in front of other adults and say, I don't understand what you're talking about. So go back to where we were 35 minutes ago. This is why we had to say to people, this is what a balance sheet is. This is how you contribute to it. This is how you read it. This is an income statement. This is a cash flow projection versus, oh, that's, that's accounting's job. It's everybody's job. Yeah. Okay. When you can get a discount on toilet paper and you should be buying it and you're the purchasing person, you know, that impacts the, the numbers. Mm. And then it, it's, it's what do we, so the obvious question becomes communicate with frequency. The next question should be, what am I communicating? Well, it's really easy to communicate your cultural beliefs if you have them and if you're consistent with them. Well, let's use West Turrigan as, as an example. My friend Scott Feeler's ears are probably ringing. Very clear. Uh, hiring driven and, and the organization driven by empathy and ethics. If you don't have empathy for, for other humans, you can't work here. If you don't have ethics, you can't work here. And if you worked here 20 years and you violate ethics, you no longer work here. That's right. Those are the guardrails. Right. Now think about it. When, when you're driving, maybe even out of town, people tend to drive with more confidence and probably a little bit faster when there's guardrails on the road. When you're driving in places that don't have guardrails or don't have streetlights, you're a little bit more cautious and you probably drive slower. Business is no different. If, if we give people a sense of direction and some guardrails, they're going to step on the gas. They're going to be a little bit more aggressive. They're going to start coming to leaders and owners going, here's what I'm thinking. Why don't we try this? And, and I still meet leaders who go, well, I'm ticked off because nobody comes to my office to say, why don't we try? I'm, I'm, I've got all the ideas. No one's coming to me. <laughs> Well, the next question is, when they come to you, what happens to those ideas? I've met so many employees who cried and said, I'm never going there again. They shot me in the head and made me feel ignorant. So I'm keeping all my ideas to myself. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that, I'm going to go out and start my own company. And or what happened to, to that employee? Idea. What happened to that employee over the span of time when they brought it forward? Was there a silent retaliation that took place? Did you hold that employee back for a decade because they spoke up, had good ideas and well, you just kind of wanted to get them in the right spot so you could steal them and call them your own and then turn things the other way. It happens all the time. Of course it does. But when you're open and inclusive in the environment, it's radically different. I don't know. Bias, where are you at on that? No, it's look, the empowerment has to be there. The empowerment and trust has to be there for these employees. And, you know, it's 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 not that the employees want this right now. They've always wanted it. Right now, there's just a lot more employees who are willing to do something about it if they don't get it. Right? They're willing to jump. This this pandemic has has taught employees the power of independence. It really has. So for for leaders to really put a culture in place that really means something for the organization, means something now more than ever before, because employees today are bolder and they're more willing to take more risks to jump somewhere else. And you have to figure out a way how to keep them engaged enough and involved enough that way they stick around with you. So you throw money changing. at it. You throw money at it, right? You just keep putting money on the table. You throw money at it to try to keep people around. Or uh, I mean, hey, you know what? Uh, a VPN and some money. There you go. Stay home and I'll pay you a little more. <laughs> well, I mean, money's part of it, right? You've got to pay people what they're worth, but you also have to give them a, a some kind of a. I got, I don't know how to say it. some some passion, some reason to be at work, right? I, I can find money anywhere. If God forbid, if tomorrow, if today, right now, something happened that I couldn't do my consultancy, 
right? I can go to Uber Eats. I can pick up, right, four-hour shift and deliver some stuff, and I got some cash in my pocket. So there's more opportunities out there right now, and it's more important right now for organizations to be more flexible in what ideas they put on there to retain top-caliber employees. And again, I hope I didn't sound extremely negative today because there are so many organizations and people doing the right thing and they fly under the radar too. Yeah. You know, four, four questions I like to ask when I'm doing workshops, doing seminars, consulting, I'll throw this four thing, these four points out to people. I'll say today, before the end of the day, not tomorrow, excuse, not next week because I'm busy today, before the end of the day, before your pillow hits the head, uh, your head hits the pillow. Well, somebody might hit or you the other way. way. I mean, it depends <laughs> on your relationship. I mean, it depends. It depends who you live with. <laughs> Look at yourself and say, as an organization, today, what do we have to stop doing? Stop. Not it, it'll be over tomorrow. What do we stop today? Yep. Question number two: What do we got to start doing? And you know what? People always have an answer for those. They always do. So stop doing. Start doing. My third is: What do we have to? keep doing because we're doing something good and sometimes we don't see the value and so we give up but it's good and it's there and my fourth favorite is what do we have to get back to doing because there's always that aha we used to do x it really got great results and no one knows how it fell into the crack but it's gone yeah keep it that simple isn't it funny that 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 people and organizations have to really think about what they have to stop doing they take more time in figuring that out than trying to figure out what they need to start doing. You said it was funny, so I put the laugh track in. <laughs> That's not a laugh track. Those are people we have in the studio. No, but Larry, right? It's, it's, it's because I guess what they're going through is, all right, I don't want to say we should stop this. I don't know how valuable this is. I mean, why else would you think about it? So, and if you don't know how valuable something is, then you got to stop the whole meeting, go back, and take a look at your organization, right? You know, I went into a client's office one time uh, with a, a lithium battery-powered chainsaw, and I took the clock off the wall in their conference room, and I cut the clock in half from 12 to 6 and put it back up on the wall. And they said, what are you doing? I said, if you're ever in a meeting here longer than 30 minutes, something's wrong. Dude. Something's wrong. Because who loves... You know, I told my wife, if I die before her, I want my name on my tombstone, my date of birth, my date of death, and a quote underneath that says, I'm not really here. I'm in a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> I just said that part, not the whole tombstone thing. I was just talking about that at a meeting last week at a, at a client's office, right? Bunch of executives. And I asked them, how long are your meetings? Two hours, hour and a half. Two and a half hours. How often? Oh, every Monday. I'm like, it's a waste of time. What? Yeah. Why are you meeting? So if you can't communicate what you need to communicate or figure out in 30 minutes or less, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with the problem. B majorly wrong with that problem. You should be able to communicate quickly, effectively, and impactfully in 30 minutes. You should be able to do it. Funny you say that right now. That's awesome. You know what? Uh, most people, at least in the Western New York, uh, Northeastern region of the country, will recognize the name Paul Snyder. And I, I saw Paul speak years ago when, you know, right back to how he launched Freezer Queen out of the trunk of his car as a college grad, how he was able to acquire the Buffalo Braves for the NBA. I mean, just phenomenal stories. But Paul says, you know what? I still call our properties every day. And guess what? There's only one, one or two metrics I need to know. And I get the answer. I hang up and I call the next one. He goes, if I'm calling a hotel, I got to know how many beds are booked. Thank you. Have a nice day. 
He goes, I'll, I'll call the parking uh, lots. How many spaces are parked in? Thank you. Have a nice day. Yep. He goes, I get those two numbers. I know everything else I need to know. There it is. Because it all spills out of that. Call HR. How many people did you fire today, Rick? Done. <laughs> Done. Done. Yeah. yeah. Man, but, yeah, you know what I think is really way. sad. I'm a big believer in people being ambassadors of their of their their companies, and you meet so many people who don't want to talk about where they work because they just dislike it so much. Yeah. And so they're never going to yeah. recruit because they're just hanging on to a paycheck. Um, and and you you said it earlier, Larry. It's you know when your employees go home and they communicate, they let everybody know how much they love working there. That kind of marketing. That that right there will yield better results than whatever budget you had into your recruitment marketing. It really does, right? Just just like any commercial, it, it's I've always used this example. I never buy anything because I saw a commercial. I buy things because of the people I trust tell me Ooh. that they believe in that product. Uh, wait a minute, Bias. I got to call your bluff yeah. on that one. Appliance Dir- Appliance Direct. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what about Appliance Direct? <laughs> Anyone who's ever been to Orlando or the Magic Kingdom, stayed in a condo or hotel or anywhere around the Central Florida area is very familiar with Appliance Direct for the past 30 years. If you didn't buy Direct. Dude, you uh, know you, you don't know it? You know that you bought your appliances from Appliance Direct down there. You know you have. You know you I have. have. Not because I saw the commercial. And just like if you came back up north over here, guy, you're going to go to Fusillo. Raul was a really good salesperson. You're going to go to Fusillo, <laughs> and, and no one paid for this talk, by the way. You're going to go no, to Fusillo, not, and you're going to buy the cars there because you see the same guy, Tom, selling cars on the TV up here as you see down there. And little did you know, advertising <laughs> has no bearing on you. Listen to you. You go to Chick-fil-A all the time. Because they got great service, not because I saw a oh. commercial. Oh, I thought they advertised the fact that they have an application that you could use on your phone. You just, you know, do it that way. Dude, I used the living daylights out of it. Right. You know that. Every time you come here, every time JC comes into the Orlando area to do any kind of work, it's sponsored by two places, by Esco Learning. Actually, three. By Esco Learning, his wallet, and Chick-fil-A, because that's what we eat down here. (laughs) So we'll have to come back, because I'm going to be in Orlando in September. Uh, Oh, sir. Yes, we do have to connect. Yes. Awesome. Hopefully, he'll take you someplace better than the places he's taken me, let me tell you. (laughs) I get paninis at Wawa. Here's hoping he takes you out for a good steak or something. Where are you going to be talking, Larry? I'm going to be speaking at the International uh, Pet Boarding and Services Association Conference, which most people don't know. The the pet industry is a multi, multi, multi multi-billion dollar industry. Yes. But it's not just retail and pet supplies. It's veterinarians. It's anybody who's got anything to do with with pets. And quite honestly, I'm going to be speaking about what we spoke about today, the excuses that are hindering the operations of these these people's businesses and their satisfaction and their, their success. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward, looking forward to being there. Um, the wild part about that done. is, is Ricky's actually a vet too. <laughs> a, a veteran. Oh, oh there you go. <laughs> oh, okay. <A> veteran. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I cut you off, Larry. What, what else no, you got? No, no, no. What else you got there? No, I'm also going to be in, uh, in Nashville in, in September doing a one day, uh, leadership development workshop, just, you know, in, in these turbulent times of change the last 30 months. Everything we've written, preached, read about has gone to the wayside. Yeah. So it's basically a day of getting leaders together to say, moving forward, this is how I have to lead. There's really not a choice because this is what the followers are saying I want. Yeah. 
And if, if you either get on board or, or you don't, because the old school, this is the way it's always been, is, isn't, isn't going to fall. Larry, is, is Nashville a private event or is that something like anyone who's listening today can maybe stop by, see you and, and, and Oh, anybody out. can come down. The event's up on Eventbrite. If you just Google Larry Midas Nashville, it'll come up. Uh, I, I'm doing some work with the Nashville, uh, you know, with the assistance of the Nashville Chamber of Commerce down there. Great, great, great community. But uh, yeah, and, and again, when I do an event, I, I'm not one of those guys who puts 300 people in the room. There's going to be 30 people in the room, period. Yeah, who want to be there. We really want to be there. You get a lot of attention. You got a lot of personalization. You bring your issues to the room. We solve them in a confidential think tank setting. Yep. You know, and, and I personally, I think it's a great deal. You're going to get breakfast, lunch, and a copy of my book and, and, eight, and eight or nine hours together. Look at and that. you're in Nashville. How do you beat that? How <laughs> do you beat that? Well, you know what, Larry? I got to ask one more quick question, and then it, it, it's, and I promise that's it. So you're going to be in Orlando in September. Nashville also in September with the way gas prices are going right now. How does that affect your budget for the private jet to go to all these places? You know, I do have a 10 speed that I got in eighth grade uh, as, a gradu- <laughs> as a graduation gift. Uh, Still going strong, I, I huh? Tell it's that old because it's a bicycle that weighs like 100 pounds. Like, <laughs> I have friends that race, you know, bicycles and you can pick them up with your pinky. You know? Yeah, pretty much. It's just yeah. light and airy. You know, these titanium bikes weigh like three ounces. Uh, you know, my bicycle weighs like 100 pounds. But, you know, so I'll, I'll be leaving probably in August to ride down. <laughs> going down the Appalachian Trail. I'm just messing with you, man. So, yeah, when you're in Orlando, let's get together. I'll take you somewhere better than Chick-fil-A. Don't worry, buddy. I'm going to hook you up. I'm awesome. gonna get it, dude. There's this place on here that does a nice steak. It's called IHOP. You may have heard of it. Their yeah. steak is phenomenal. Ricky, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to no, okay. encourage you to do do one better, if that's okay, uh, for Maybe? Mr. Larry today as well. Uh-huh. Is there any way that you could provide a networking opportunity to get uh, – Larry Midas and Sam Slay of 357 Solutions in touch because I think these two gentlemen. Oh my God. If, if you put idea. them in the same room, same time, and, and even on the same stage, my gosh, the two of them together. See, you've got Sam's book. Where's Larry's book? Where's Larry's book? Well, Why don't you have I'm Larry's book in hand? Yet? I was just hanging out with Sam and he gave me one. <laughs> <laughs> See, there's Larry's I book. I, right, I'm so, going to get that. So let's talk about Larry's book. Larry, where can we find? We tried that once. Where's uh, Tell us a bit about the book. Uh, I, I'm sure we've kind of talked about it now over the past hour or so, but how much does it cost? Well, you, know, you know what? And uh, The design of the book was, was very in- intentional because I don't know about you guys. I've got a house full of business books because um, I'm a nerd and I read business books. But I've got some two, three, four hundred page books that I've read 20 pages and stopped reading. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or it was just the same stuff yeah. regurgitated. Yep. So when I sat with my publisher, I said, look, I'm going to write a book that's 70 pages or less. The real intent of my book. Yeah. This, you know, the real intent of my book is you get on an airplane and you read it. And you're before done. you land, you're done with it. Awesome. Uh, there are every chapter, each, each of the 13 chapters um, has act, take action item points. So it's not just here's the problem. In totality in the book, I offer 106 action items that pick the ones you want to start working on and work on them. Don't pick them all, but don't skip them all. So there, there's there's plenty of, I'll call it hardcore advice of, of how to solve some of these, these challenges and break through these excuses. Um, the book's available on uh, Amazon. Uh, it's available on barnesandnoble.com. You just got to Google. We tried that once and or put it in the search box and and, and you'll find it. Um, and, and vis-a-vis, that's how we got to the conversation with Southwest. I said, look, uh, 
in, instead of having an eight-month-old magazine on the airplane, why not put the book in? And now again, if, if raise your right hand, swear you'll never, oh. you'll, you'll never repeat this. All your listeners, you'll never repeat this. <laughs> My actual thought was, why couldn't Southwest and I come up with a concept where I could get this book, get on a plane in Dallas, fly to Buffalo while I'm reading it and have read it, get off the plane, and at the ticket station, turn my book back in and get a different business book. And we would call it we would call it the Southwest Flybrary. <laughs> That's awesome. It's a fantastic idea. It's a fantastic idea. That is great. So so it's happening. It needs to happen. Well, we're trying to make it happen. It's going to take a while. We're trying to make it happen. You got to get the right ears, the right eyes. Uh, And I don't expect the CEO of Southwest, who's stepping over a little bit anyways, to run with that project. But again, I was humbled and and thankful and grateful that he, he got back to me and said, you know, hey, maybe we can dance here. Maybe we can't. I don't know. Um, but that's kind of how my mind is is geared. I kind of say what if, and then narrow it down to all the filters we talked about earlier wow. today, and, and can this become a reality? But um, you know, and you only know what you learn. Most of us don't know that much, myself included. I've always read data that says you use like fifteen percent of the total capacity of your brain, and the other eighty five percent is just waiting for for someone to turn a switch on. <laughs> So, you know, well, let's all get a little bit smarter. I'm, I'm huge on laughter. Adult learning principles, we all know. You learn more, you remember more, you retain more when you're laughing, when you're learning. So if anybody comes to, you know, Orlando or comes to Nashville, we're going to laugh. I laugh at myself every day because, you know what, I've always told my kids. One time my kids, when they were young and they said, Dad, why are you always making fun of yourself? I said, because I want to beat someone else out there. There to you the go. <laughs> there you go. That's right. right. Awesome. Well, September. What date? Uh, Nashville is September 14th. In Orlando? Orlando is going to be, I believe, the 23rd and 24th. I'm speaking two days there. Um, and that's all. That'll all be you know, on, on my uh, website. There's some social media coming up uh, for, for the, the pet conference. Uh, they're going to start promoting that a little bit more, more heavily. Okay. Uh, I you know really want to hit a home run in Nashville, and, and again, kudos to the chamber down there. They're really trying to help me hit, hit a home run down there. Um, you know, I've got friends that are former Western New Yorkers that have moved there, lived there, and they're like, Blair, this place is just on fire. It's just it's insane the amount of growth. How many corporate headquarters have relocated uh, wow. to, to Nashville from other parts of the country or other parts of the world? Uh, it's a fun place to be. It's an affordable place to be. Uh, but there's a lot of businesses with a lot of challenges. And, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people down there don't know who I am. Uh, but, you know, there was a day where nobody knew who, who Anthony Robbins was either. By the way, this is just how I'm geared. You're going you're gonna to think this is, is maybe bizarre because my wife thought it was bizarre. I sent my book to Tony Robbins' house. Okay. It's not bizarre. And I said, don't. I it's said, Tony, idea. I don't want an endorsement. I want you to read the book and give me some feedback. And my yeah. wife said, well, how did you find out where he lives? I said, oh, it's I drove by. It's public record. He pays taxes. He pays property taxes. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> no, because he doesn't know I'm alive. Uh, like, I know he is alive. And, uh, you know, hey, man, like it, at least you mailed you it. it. Yeah, At least you mailed it. You didn't stop by at like two in the morning. Hey, Tony. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. still proper. It's still proper. Why not? Yeah. I'm, I'm sure not it happens. I'm not stalking yet. Right. Uh-huh. 
Just getting the food to the right doors, getting the things out of the right spots. It's like I went down to Orlando and Ricky's like, yeah, they got this whole uh, WWE training facility. You'd be amazing at being an in-ring announcer. I'm like, Rick, this sounds great. And he was trying to convince me to put on a tuxedo and just take me to the front gates. It didn't work out well. But um, <laughs> I definitely definitely recommend Larry's approach of mailing something rather than just randomly showing up. Showing up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's show up. Always. Yeah. yeah. Don't do yeah, that. those those uh, those uh, three years that it takes for a culture to shift. That's ironically how much time uh, JC and my restraining order is against that organization. <laughs> 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 Just kidding, that never happened. Yeah. I, I'll tell you more stories offline someday because yeah, you know, my poster's probably up at the post office somewhere. But yeah. <laughs> I gotcha. Well, you know what, Larry? What is what is for everybody listening right now? What is the one piece of advice? One piece of advice you want our audience to walk away with that they can implement because this is publishing today. In a few hours, this is going to publish. They can listen to it tomorrow on their way to work while they work out. What is the one thing you want them to take away that's really going to impact their day tomorrow? You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to give three points quickly. And, and quite honestly, I've said this to myself every day, gentlemen. And I goof around a lot, but I'm being dead serious here. I've said this to myself every day since the tragic events of September 11th. And when I meet people at the personal level, at the professional level, I usually like at some point to say to them, look, do three things. Number one, live each day to the fullest. Number two, cherish your family and friends. And number three, keep things in perspective. Hmm. That would be it. Larry, we are at that time in the program where we uh, typically do current events. Would you like to stick around? For just a few more moments. We only have two, oh, absolutely. St- two stories today to bring to the table. Ladies and gentlemen, here we go. Current events this week is brought to you in part by that Bias Co. thing where Ricky does stuff. It's <laughs> our things. pleasure. That's right. Hey, your first story, though, is coming to us from, and this is a pretty wild one. This is coming from PC Gamer, PCGamer.com. A home worker got uh, an official verbal warning from HR and their business and, and, and the whole chain for gaming on their break time despite switching to their own PC. So since what? they've been working for a call center, uh, this employee has been loaded with uh, various softwares, a customer relationship management tool. And in this software, managers are able to actually listen in on phone calls, even when you're on hold. But it doesn't explain why the boss could hear them playing games on their break on their own individual PC that was connected to the same network. Quote, I'm not on the phone or in chat queue, so that tells me that the boss is actually able to just listen in on me all the time even though I'm on my own break, is it legal without telling me that the boss can listen in on my entire life because I'm dialed into their network? I feel weirded out, not knowing whether or not they're just sitting around listening to me in my home and what I'm doing. A quick search of 5.9 didn't turn up uh, any similar complaints about the software. In fact, a score of 7.7 out of 10 states that the software is trusted and is uh, something that many businesses do rely on. Maybe we know why now. And it looks like that uh, working from home at the time is something that could be a potential legal ramification from the HR perspective overall. Ricky Baez, what are your thoughts on this one about an employee being verbally reprimanded? And we'll start with Larry, then go. uh, I'm sorry, we'll start with Ricky, then go over to Larry. But employee being reprimanded for gaming on their free time. And the only way the employer could have found out 
was through, quote, spying on the computer or tracking on the computer or stalking on the computer or however you <laughs> I, I want to phrase it. it. Okay, yeah, yeah, we get it. We get it. Appreciate yeah, that. So two things here, right? It's I'm going to focus on on the the assets that belongs to the organization. I'm pretty sure that as soon as you hit control, all did open up that computer. There's a little box that you have to acknowledge to say that this is a business owned computer. Everything that you do on this computer can be and will be monitored. Assume whatever you do, it is monitored. As soon as you hit OK, you say you're OK with that. Right. And by so, the way, to, to supplement the discussion here, there currently are only 12 states across the United States that two party consent laws apply in. That's California, Connecticut, Florida, Illinois, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Montana, Nevada, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, and Washington. Everyone else, single party consent. But if you hit OK, you're aware. And if you continue to do uh, those activities on that computer, you are saying you are aware that is being monitored. Uh, but now, this that's person, that, that person was on a separate computer. No, no, I know. So, 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 so that's why I'm separating these things, right? Okay. Now, that's one thing. On the other piece, I have no idea why what this person is doing on a separate computer is coming up on this on the on the work computer. But this employee is right. He's he's on his break. Leave him alone. As long as he does what he needs to do in his break and comes back to work on time and it doesn't disrupt the operation, it's none of the employer's business. It really isn't. And, and, you know, and to really, to really focus on that piece and saying you shouldn't play video games on your break, what does that do to the morale of the organization? He's going to talk. He's going to tell everybody else about it. So it's two completely different things. I don't understand why it's crossing over that way. But at the end of the day, if you're using the organization's computer and you've acknowledged that, that, that statement, you shouldn't complain if they're listening to your private stuff, which you should not be doing it on there anyway. So, so this is not the case. So private stuff would also include if on your break time you had to talk to your family about a private medical issue and now your employer's listening in through the CRM software where it doesn't matter whether or not your phone's on mute and they can hear your entire life. But if you're doing that on a computer that belongs to the organization, you, you acknowledged Right. So so this is one a weird a, a what if, because this is the person's personal computer and it's going some, somewhat for some reason over the, comu- the, the that company's their, computer. Their, their hypothesis is that the the employer's listening in on the work computer over that open microphone that is never ah, actually muted, you see, never actually muted. Yeah. So even though the employee takes the precaution on their end to insulate themselves so that they could talk about their own personal life or do whatever they desire on their own break. They never have that reasonable expectation of privacy. And you know what, leaders, if you, just because you've got the equipment and the software to actually listen in, it doesn't mean you have to, if you don't have to, right? Or if you don't need to, right? Because if you need it for work, then use those skills for work, use those tools for work. If the person's on lunch and you listen in and they're like, oh, they're having a private conversation. Here's a concept. Hang up. Don't listen in anymore. Stop spying on your employee. That's my take. I don't know, Larry. What do you think? Well, you know, again, I goof around a lot, but time to be serious. My preface is I'm not an attorney and I'm not an HR professional. I should have said that too. I'm not an attorney. (laughs) (laughs) For everybody to know. Thank you, Larry. (laughs) My pleasure. And I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm just saying we live in a world where, quite honestly, privacy has changed. And we have to be aware of that. It still confounds me how some people do intentional things that violate their privacy. Some people do subconscious, unconscious things that violate their privacy. But sort of piggyback on on what Ricky said and what we said earlier in the podcast today, my stance would be this. If 
I think Larry's gaming on his break or his lunch or whatever the case may be. And Larry's hitting it out of the park as my employee. I'm going to send a game to Larry's house <laughs> with a handwritten note that says, man, I hope you crush the record score on this game. Thanks for all you do for us. Have a nice day. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. You know, our, 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 and, and it happens. People look at me and go, does this stuff happen? Our son, one of our sons works for an international company with probably 35, 40,000 employees across the world. One day working from home on a pre-meeting chat, his superiors had learned that he had bought his own house. And, and somebody made the comment and said, well, you know, you probably didn't cook that much before on your own, you know. Do you cook now? And our son was like, well, yeah, I cook for myself. No big deal. And somebody was like, yeah, did you ever see the XYZ air fryer? It's great. And our son was like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. A week later, I'm talking to him on the phone. He's like, dad, hang on. There's a package on my porch. I got to chase the guy down. I don't know what it is. It's huge. I didn't order this thing. Amazon's gone. He gets the package at his house. He opens it up. It's an, it's a, it's the XYZ air fryer <laughs> nice. from his, from his boss with a handwritten note that said, Hey, Good luck. Good for you buying your own house. Good luck cooking. Thought this might help. It's that's cool. awesome. That is awesome. That, that's cool. That's how you build that that relationship. That is how you build that connection with Culture. the employees, right? It, it, it's who, by the way, how you said earlier, is the reason the organization exists. Be yeah. dang employees. That's so, how you, you know, build. so I'm pretty sure if, if my son had to work an extra two, three, four, six, or 18 hours that week, I don't do think it. it bothered him. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right. Amazing what happens. Amazing what happens when you put your employees first. It's time for Florida Man Stories. Florida Man Stories this week, ladies and gentlemen. This one is definitely fitting the mold of the Florida Man story, and it's not from Florida. This story is coming to us from the New York Post. Jacques Paul, 27 years old, completely freaked out. After editing his resume to suit the employment criteria for his dream job, and he accidentally attached a copy of something else to his resume that he shouldn't have. Without continuing with the story in the article real quick, in the world of human resources, Ricky Baez, what does the um, acronym LTD stand for in regards to disability? Long-term disability? What does the acronym STD stand for? Oh, my God. Short-term disability? Jacques Paul accidentally attached a copy of his sexually transmitted disease test results to his application rather than his professional cover letter. And in applying to the job, uh, he unfortunately mistook his digital medical report for his professional paperwork and accidentally attached it to that application. And he is now gamefully employed. He's finally able to laugh about this. He shared his story on TikTok. As it went viral, uh, people that received the resume saw STD, thought it was a short-term disability thing, and were quite surprised when they opened that up uh, to find out a little bit more. Quote, I was applying for the job while listening to music and checking the news. I was looking at COVID rates and doing something else on the side. And I was multitasking. You get an email confirmation from your application. It said to log in to see the results, which I did. I wanted to make sure everything was okay. And then I saw the PDF of the STD results and... Completely freaked out. I put a lot of thought and time into applying for this job. It was my dream job. And you have to make sure your uh, cover letter and resume is adjusted and and perfect. So you write the cover letter the right way. You proofread everything. 
And then you completely screw up by uploading the wrong information. Within 72 hours, I got a standard message saying that they weren't uh, weren't proceeding with the application. I figured I could follow up and ask for feedback, but I, I think I knew exactly what was wrong. It looks like I was submitting my application and saying, and here's another good thing about me. Um, and, and quote. So on TikTok, there's a, a mixture of comments on the story. Uh, it's kind of taken off in the world of HR over the past 30 days talking about this. Uh, he added, it's the beauty of the entire thing. Once it went viral, it was an honest mistake. And, and people are, are feeling a personal connection to it because... They make mistakes all the time. People make mistakes all the time. He owned this mistake, but unfortunately, uh, it it didn't uh, help him land on his feet. With the dream job, he did land somewhere else. Ricky Baez, <laughs> over to you. So if he's blaming that snafu on multitasking, he better not have put that as one of his strengths on his resume. Because oh, then geez. he'd be lying if that's the case, right? Oh, jeez. Oh, that poor guy. I mean, I guess I, I, I guess I can see how that could happen. I don't know why you would file your STD results that close to your short term <laughs> disability disability stuff. I mean, I bet it's oh wow. There's oh, a lot all going I'm on saying there, is, folks. It's a lot going on. Be careful when you put stuff out there. Do not multitask when you're sending that kind, those kinds of documents, important documents to your prospective employer. You want to be noticed, but not like that. Mr. Larry, um, I would say proof three times, hit send once. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there it is. You know, we just, you know, I, I don't believe anybody, anyone can effectively multitask. I don't really think you can. You can do a lot of things half-baked, but, you know, focus on a task, get it done, move on. But I will tell you this quick story. Four decades, if not more, ago, I was fresh out of college and, and applying for jobs, you know, with an old, you know, typewriter written resume and on, on, on one of my resumes and, and people just, they don't do their homework. I, I, I put down under my college credentials that I had an ODB from BTC, an ODB from BTC. And so finally, one of the people I interviewed with picked up on that and said, so tell me about this ODB from BTC. I said, yeah, it's an overdue bill from Bell Telephone Company. <laughs> I said, and if you hire me, I can pay the bill. <laughs> Dude, I would hire you on the spot just for the creativity alone. <laughs> Seriously, was it a sales position? Oh yeah, it, yeah. Oh, see, yeah. there you go. Because that—that's how you get people. You got the job. I, right? I, told, I told the truth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I told the truth. You know, never not tell the truth. So, yeah, see, we got to be careful. There's there is a lot going on and technology makes it that much more um, uh, easy to make that kind of mistake. But, you know, you got to you got to own those mistakes and use some common sense and, and be. And, and again, going back to what we talked about today, leadership and management. I talked to a lot of people about followers expect leaders. They have certain skill sets like I can communicate well. I can speak well. I can write a clear, concise email with no grammatical mistakes. And every day we see things that get pumped out by high level executives and people go, wow, like, why are you in charge? You can't write. <laughs> True. You know, why are you in charge? Yeah. You can't speak. Yep. Um, and so it kind of it kind of shakes the faith of the followers. Yeah. Awesome. No excuses. No excuses. No excuse. Own your truth. We are right. at that time of the program. Time for final thoughts going around the room today. Mr. Larry, we'll start with you. Final hey, thoughts on the day. 
let's be good to each other. It's a complicated world. Uh, you know, do your best to help other people out, um, you know, and expect nothing in return. What goes around still comes around. Might be technologically faster than it used to be, but good will come back to you. Mr. Baez, Mr. Ricky B, what do you got? Man, I'm going to hop on the on the Larry Bandwagon because that was, that was that's exactly what I would say, folks. Just look, it's a it's a tough world out there. People are trying to make ends meet the best way they know how. Just be good to each other. If you can help somebody out in the process, whether at work or as, or at home, go ahead and do so. Put some good in the world. My final thoughts here on the day. Big thank you going out to Larry Midas for being here today. It's been a pleasure. It's been a long time coming, and yes. also. Go Bills. That's all I got on the day today. Ladies and gentlemen, I am JC, co-host of this sinking ship, but we had a great day sailing today. (laughs) We're not sinking anymore. We've got amazing things going on with amazing people and great things coming up. If you want to learn more about Larry, stop by Larry's website. Just Google Larry Midas. You're going to find him right away. Ricky will put a link to Larry in the show notes, so you're more than happy to find him that way. Alternatively, if you want to know more about Ricky Bias and you want to Find out where he's talking next. I think that might just be on the phone. He's got a consultancy thing going on, so give him a call. I don't know. It's the Biasco stuff with things stuff, right? Biasco learning. Biasco.com. Yep. You can call me at 407-501-8425. You can email me at E-B-A-E-Z at Biasco.com. On behalf of the marketing team, the interns who we did just recently pick up from local schools down by Ricky. Thank you again for picking up the interns in the process there. And uh, okay. hopefully looking to get the social media train rolling again after a long sleep. We'll see what happens. Ladies and gentlemen, drive safe. Have a good night. Thank you, gentlemen. Great. Now I want Chick-fil-A.